We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I discuss a new book just being released that's titled Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. Yes, you heard me correctly. Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. The author, Keegan Osinki. An author who describes herself as a member in good standing in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Today's topic is a new book just being released. Just got word of it yesterday. Posted on Facebook proudly by the author with the cover of the book, Queering Wesley and Queering the Church, and simply a text from the author, an announcement from the author saying, It's coming with an exclamation point. Keegan Osinki, O-S-I-N-S-K-I, described on the cover of the book as the librarian for theology and ethics at Vanderbilt University and a member of the Church of the Nazarene. That's how it's described in the book, actually on the book's cover. And then Osinki describes herself on Facebook because somebody actually said, well, she's not actually still a member of the Nazarene Church. She's left it. And she actually responded and said, no, actually, I'm a member in good standing. If you're not Nazarene, you still should care. Frankly, I would argue if you're not even Christian, you should care about this story. It's a very important story. I'll discuss what the book says of itself, what the author says of herself, briefly, and then I'll once again share with you why this is a problem, why it's not homophobic, why it's not hateful, why it's not bigoted, and why it is actually the most loving thing to do, to step in the way of these people who are shouting love wins and waving their flags in celebration of LGBTQ+, and say, no, this is wrong. This diminishes the human being. This diminishes the definition of what it means to even be a man or a woman. It's misogynistic. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's not orthodox. It's dangerous. It will actually result in much harm rather than any good. We'll talk about that one more time because it's important. I would argue that LGBTQ plus and CRT, critical race theory, have been woven together into a rope that is going to strangle, strangle freedom and liberty across the entire Western world. 
Remember that if you would like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. I strongly encourage you to consider subscribing. Please do me a favor also and consider posting uh, the podcast version of The Rebellion out there in your social media. Let other people know about it. Encourage them to listen to a couple of your favorite episodes of the rebellion. That's how we keep the momentum going is by you deciding to let others know, hey, you might want to listen to this podcast. So post the podcast version of the rebellion out there. And for those of you listening live on KOKL 1240 on your dial, KOKL Radio 1240 on your dial. Thank you. Thank you for listening live and encourage other people to do the same. Maybe go to the podcast version after you're done listening, post it out there, and keep the ball rolling for the rebellion. Get more people to join. Very grateful for our corporate sponsor, so let's take a couple minutes and acknowledge those. And when I get back, we'll discuss queering Wesley and queering the church and why this is a problem. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. And this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. People often have challenging questions about Christianity that deserve a thoughtful, respectful, and gentle response, including how can an all-loving, all-powerful God allow so much suffering? Does science disprove Christianity? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? And is Jesus the only way to God? For answers to questions like these, there's the Oklahoma Apologetics Alliance. For more information, see them online at oklahomaapologetics.com. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, so here is what the book actually says. By the way, it's published by Cascade Books. Now, I'm sure that there are those out there that are fans of Mizo Senki and uh, maybe even the author herself who are saying, well, thanks for the free media attention. Thanks for the free PR. Uh, frankly, I don't care. So if you're going to be smug about it and uh, act that way, I don't care. 
Um, and if people go out and buy the book, you know, that's your choice. If you want to buy a book or so, I'm fairly confident this is not going to be a bestseller. But if you want to buy the book and read it and see what the argument is, go ahead. So, Ms. Osinki and your fans, if you think that I'm giving you free PR, and if that's your response to this broadcast, okay, fine. If people buy a couple extra copies of your book, okay, fine. I want them to see how broken the argument is. I'd welcome, I'd welcome a chance for them to read your argument and then listen to a biblical argument, an orthodox argument, an argument that's grounded in sound ontology, sound epistemology, sound logic, sound reason, sound experience, sound revelation, and sound theology. I'd welcome an opportunity for them to juxtapose your book against this broadcast and anything that I've said or written. All right, so this is what the cover of the book actually says, people. It says, 50 years ago after Stonewall, the experiences of, excuse me, experiences of the LGBTQ plus Christians are rightfully beginning to be received with interest by their churches. Okay, problem all of right there, folks. There is no such thing as an LGBTQ plus Christian any more than there is a lying Christian, a stealing Christian, a deceptive Christian, an angry Christian, a hateful Christian, a Christian that defines himself or herself as a lustful Christian. I could go on and on and on. Pick your sin, any sin that's identified by the Bible and by the church, and then use it to hyphenate your Christianity. And you'll see how ridiculous this claim is. You don't hyphenate your Christianity by your libido. The only thing that hyphenates your Christianity, if anything does, is your Lord. Again, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Behold, we are a new creation. The old has died, the new has come. Therefore, we are a new creation. Behold, the old has died, it's gone, and the new has come. You are transformed in Christ. You aren't transgendered. You're born again. You don't celebrate the fact that you were born that way. And anybody who tells you the opposite, anybody who tells you to celebrate that you were born that way and hyphenate your Christianity, your faith in Christ, your, 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 your very experience within the body of Christ, within the church, anybody who tells you to hyphenate that Christianity with anything, anything, any of your passions, any of your proclivities, any of your habits, any of your desires is wrong, pure and simple. You are born again. If you're in Christ, you're not born that way. Do you get it? Well, Asinki and her fans don't. So the first sentence that describes the book is a sentence that talks about the experiences of LGBTQ plus Christians, and that's wrong. That's wrong. That's a lie. That's a lie. Anyway, she, she says, the experience of LGBTQ plus Christians are rightfully beginning to be received with interest by their churches. Queering Wesley and queering the church presents a prototype 
for thinking about Wesleyan holiness as an expansive openness to the love and grace of God in queer Christian lives, rather than the limiting and restrictive legalism that is sometimes found in Wesleyan theology and praxis. Do you get that? Now, I've talked to you before about what the Wesleyan tradition is. If you're not familiar with that, I'll explain it one more time. John and Charles Wesley were Anglican pastors. They were Anglicans in the mid-1700s. They had a dramatic born-again experience. Uh, a heartwarming experience is what it's sometimes being described as. Now, Charles Wesley went off and authored hundreds of hymns. So this, a lot of the hymns that you sing in your church, a lot of them are written by Charles Wesley, and you may not even know it. No, but John Wesley became famous for his preaching. Some historians would argue that the preaching of John Wesley and the hymns of Charles Wesley, the work, the ministry of these two brothers, actually salted Great Britain with the gospel to the extent, and repentance and revival, to the extent that it might have preserved Great Britain from the fate of the French Revolution. Okay, which you might want to think about right now. If we're going to twist and manipulate and turn their preaching upside down, is it possible that our nation is on the verge of the violence and the vice that led to the French Revolution? Again, the American Revolution is grounded in a biblical worldview. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. It is. Sure, you've got a couple of our founding fathers that weren't necessarily orthodox evangelicals or orthodox uh, remnant Christians, orthodox biblical Christians. You have a few of them. People will argue that Benjamin Franklin and John and uh, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, are among those who weren't actually Christian. You can debate that if you want. I see a lot of language out there that is directly grounded in the Bible from both of those founding fathers. But their salvation is not something that we need to judge today. What I'm saying is that the overall evidence is that America was grounded, is grounded in that biblical ethic, that biblical worldview. As I've told you a hundred times over, the person that is cited more than Locke and Hume and Montesquieu combined, than Cicero and all of these other classic authors combined, the author that is cited is Moses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Moses is the most often cited author in all of the seminal documents of the founding of our nation. And there's a reason for that. America was grounded, founded. The American Revolution was deeply rooted in the Bible, whereas the French Revolution was deeply rooted in humanism, in the Enlightenment, in the elevation of man as God, in the diminishment of a supernatural God, to the point where they actually started executing the very heroes of the revolution itself, Robespierre being the most prominent. We've talked about that over and over again. Well, John and Charles Wesley may have saved Great Britain from that fate because they preached the Bible, and they preached holiness. Now, what did holiness mean? It meant, and means, if you still hold to the biblical definition of it, being set apart, being sanctified unto the Lord. So you set yourself apart. You, you, you pull yourself out of all the other stuff of life, and you set yourself apart for 
holiness, obedience unto the Lord. As I've talked to you before about the four corner posts of freedom, you have the primacy of Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, the priority of Scripture, that the Bible is the Word of God, the pursuit of truth, that truth is given by God. It's not made up by you or me, the LGBTQ plus movement, the CRT movement. It's not made up by any of these movements that have opinions on what truth with a lowercase t really is. These subjective, manipulated, malleable opinions, feelings of what they want to be real. No, that's not what truth is. Truth is an objective reality. It's out there. It's with an uppercase t. It is unchangeable, immutable, permanent. It's true. Like Os Guinness says, truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. So you have the primacy of Christ. He is who he claims to be, the second person of the triune God. He's the God that inspired the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is God. He is who he claims, present tense, to be. He's alive and well right now, and he will judge all of us at the end of days. He's not going to give us a great big kumbaya hug and say, good for you, you defined yourself by your sin. You hyphenated yourself by your sinful desires. Good for you. No, that's not what we read in Scripture. We read that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession. Confession. You are to repent, to confess your sins. You're not to hyphenate your Christianity with them. Uh, The fact that I'm reading just on the cover of this book, the exact opposite, should cause you great concern. And if you do go buy the book, remember what I'm saying. Remember what I'm saying. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't buy the lie. It's pejorative language just on the cover when they talk about everything I just said is somehow restrictive legalism that sometimes is found in the Wesleyan theology and praxis. Restrictive legalism? Restrictive legalism to talk about setting yourself apart in holiness unto the Lord, which means to set yourself apart away from away from your old man, your old person, your old desires, and not hyphenate yourself by them. This is a bastardization of the Wesleyan message and of Orthodox Christianity. I read further on the cover of the book. This inventive project consists of queer readings of 10 John Wesley sermons. Yeah, have a problem with that? You should. This inventive project, that in and of itself, she's inventing. She's inventing a way to read. In other words, she's twisting, manipulating, inserting, lying about. She's inventing. She's inventing queer readings of 10 of John Wesley's sermons. Reading these sermons from a queer perspective, says the cover of the book, offers the church a fresh paradigm for theological innovation. Inventing fresh paradigms, innovation, queer perspective. This is all different language for saying we're going to twist and manipulate this and call evil good and good evil, bitter sweet and sweet bitter, right wrong and wrong right. We're going to do exactly what 
the prophet Isaiah told us not to do. Woe unto him who does this stuff. Is that somehow legalistic for me to say that? She would suggest it is, and her champions would do likewise. Then it goes on and says, what we're going to do all of this while remaining in line with the tradition and legacy of Wesleyan that is so critical, excuse me, that is so central and generative to Wesleyan churches. Now, I'm sorry, that's a lie too. You're not, you're not in line with the tradition and legacy of Wesley. He's rolling over in his grave right now with his brother Charles to think that anyone under the banner, <coughs> excuse me, anyone under the banner of the Wesleyan movement, the Methodist movement, would be saying such things. Now, again, John and Charles Wesley are the fathers of the Methodist movement. I've said before that if you're Methodist, then you should understand what I'm saying. You are the great-grandchild of John and Charles Wesley, Wesley, spiritually. So the Methodist movement is what they established. And the Wesleyans traditionally have been the conservative, the evangelicals, those that are hanging on to biblical inerrancy within that family reunion, at that family tent, if you will. So when the Wesley brothers, when John Wesley and Charles Wesley established the Methodist movement, what did it stand for? What did it stand for? You should remember, class. Can you pass the quiz? The Methodist movement stood for the methods of holy living. The methods, a methodical, obedient way of living the Christian life. They stepped forward at a time when the Church of England was lost, and they basically said, you've got your orthodoxy right. You still claim to believe in the triune God, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Bible is the Word of God. You still claim to believe that truth is given by God, and I, we, we commend you, we commend you, the Church of England, for all of that, but there's a problem here. You've got your orthodoxy right, but you don't have your orthopraxy right. You don't have the practice of your religion correct. And frankly, as Matthew 7 says, at the end of days, Jesus is going to look at you and say, you may have done X, Y, and Z all in my name. You may have preached in my name. You may have written books in my name. You may have said things in my name, but depart from me. I never knew you. Yes, yes, Jesus says that. Jesus says that. That's part of his preaching, people. So again, people like Osinki who write these books that are all affirming and all, are all about tolerance and are all about inventive ways to read and queer the readings of John Wesley or the Bible. You think maybe they're in that group that Jesus was talking about when he said, you said all of this in my name, but I will say to you, get away from me, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't want to be in that group. And the only way I know how to stay out of that group is to go to the Bible. Go to the Bible and read explicitly and directly and exactly what it says. And everywhere from Genesis to Revelation, in the Bible, it is very clear that certain things are wrong and certain things are right. It's very clear, for example, that if you blaspheme God, that that's wrong in Revelation, and it's wrong all the way back to Genesis. 
from the end of the book back to the beginning of the book, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. That standard never changes. That is a theological law that is consistent. That thread is never broken. And the same is true with other moral laws. Other moral laws are never broken. There's nowhere in Scripture that tells you to dishonor your parents, for example. You're told in Genesis to honor your parents. You're told all the way through the Bible to honor your parents. So don't stop doing it. Don't think that the law, the moral direction and admonitions of the Bible change. And the same is true on sexuality. It never changes. There's nothing in the Bible that ever says that homosexuality is a good thing. As I've said before, I've challenged people Tell me anywhere in the Bible where there's anything positive said about homosexuality. Where? Where in the Bible does it ever say anything good about it? If you can find anything, tell me. Tell me where where in Genesis. Tell me where in Exodus, Leviticus. Tell me where in the prophets. Tell me where in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Tell me where in the Pauline epistles or the epistles of Peter or Jude. Tell me. Tell me anywhere in the Bible, in the epistles of John where it says anything positive about homosexuality. It's not there, folks. It's not there. There's nowhere where it talks about queering the church or queering Christianity. Nothing. Nothing. You think maybe there's a reason? You think maybe it's because there's a consistent, unbroken message here? That this decision, this choice to engage in this activity is not good for you. It's unhealthy to mind, body, and soul. Just like lying is unhealthy to mind, body, and soul. Just like stealing is unhealthy to mind, body, and soul. Just like gluttony is unhealthy to mind, body, and soul. Do you get my point? These things hurt the Imago Dei. They hurt the human being. They don't help the human being. And people who write differently are actually spinning a lie that will damage the Imago Dei, damage the image of God. And that's my key problem with much of what Asinke says and others are saying, like Thomas Ord, who was a professor at Northwest Nazarene University, who is on the cover of the book endorsing it, endorsing it. And keep in mind, when I spoke out against the Nazarene ministry called Love Wins, LGBTQ, which the Nazarene Church, the Church of the Nazarene, still endorses, still endorses, and which the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church implicitly endorsed by writing a letter essentially condemning my challenge of that ministry and supporting the Nazarene Church's inclusion of that ministry which within their panoply of outreaches. When the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church comes out against me for challenging a pro-LGBTQ ministry of the Nazarene Church, you know that the holiness movement has a problem. It has a problem. It's buying the lie. It's drinking the Kool-Aid. It has set aside a high view of Scripture for something that is more closely aligned with this an inventive project that consists of queering the readings and the sermons of John Wesley. 
reading these sermons from a queer perspective offers the church. What church? The holiness church. That's what the argument is here. A fresh paradigm for theological innovation. That's sure correct. Innovation? Oh, my land. While remaining in line with the tradition and the legacy of Wesley that is so central and generative to Wesleyan churches. This is not even close to the tradition and legacy of John Wesley. It goes on and says that arguing that a coherent line of thought can be drawn from Wesleyan's conception of holiness to the queer, holy lives of LGBTQ plus Christians, querying Wesley and querying the church playfully utilizes queer theory in a way that is fully compatible with Wesleyan teaching. Oh, playfully, sadly, sinfully, not playfully. And Thomas Ord, former professor at Nazarene Theological, not Nazarene Theological Seminary, he has spoken there multiple times, by the way, and elsewhere across the Christian College and Christian Seminary. And then you have the Nazarene Church, guilty by association. And you have the Wesleyan Church, the general superintendent of Schmidt, writing letters condemning me for saying what I just said. Sad folks, remember this at times if you understand the seat. Truth is the only rebellion left.